All right. We are back for the week seven preview with the Sporting Intelligence crew. I'm Ethan Weiss. I'm here with Pat Higgins. And boy, we are not the only ones who are back, Pat. DeAndre Hopkins is back. The Phoenix Suns are back. It's an exciting time to be an Arizona sports fan. Yep, likewise in Philadelphia. The the Phillies are up 1-0 as it stands right now in the NLCS, and the Eagles are 7-0 and fresh off a Sunday night victory over the Cowboys heading into the bye. So vibes are high all around on, on you know both ends of the country here. Yeah, how about that? We, we uh, you know, haven't been able to say that both at the same time here so far this season. So nice, nice to, uh, nice to do that. Uh, before we get into our flowers um, real quick, just want to give a quick plug. Um, go follow us on Twitter at sport. I N T E L L G N C E. You can search sporting intelligence and find us there. Uh, subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Um, that's released every Friday morning. Great data visualizations and matchup analysis across the league. And for the next two weeks, if you go to our website, sporting-intelligence.com, you can sign up for a free month trial to see our dashboards, our matchup analysis, our model plays, and our player stats dashboards as well. That free trial will be available if you sign up before the start of week eight. Let's get into it. Um, Pat, uh, who are you giving flowers to this week? Yep, this week, flowers are going to the Atlanta Falcons. So the narrative heading into the 2022 season was that the Falcons were going to be one of the bottom five rosters, an absolute dumpster fire of a team in 2022 and Arthur Smith's second season at the helm. And we're heading into week seven, and the Falcons are now 6-0 against the spread and 3-3 and straight up with wins over the Browns, Seahawks, and 49ers. I don't think the Seahawks are, you know, the best team in the league, but the Browns are a good roster and the 49ers were obviously injured last week, but uh, a two score win over the 49ers at home for the Falcons is uh, it's a great win. Um, Atlanta's missing Cordero Patterson, who's sort of their Swiss army knife of an offensive weapon, but they did a lot of good things in this game against the 49ers. They rushed for 168 yards with a running back by committee approach and they held San Francisco, who, you know, everyone knows Kyle Shanahan loves to run the football to 50 total yards on the ground in the rushing game. They won the turnover battle 3 nothing. They turned one of their turnovers into points, and they finished 3-for-3 three three on their trips into the red zone. Uh, you know, a quarterback, Mariota's bounced around the league a little bit the last two seasons, but he's making the most of his, of his opportunity this year as a starter with the Falcons. He's not the centerpiece of this offense, but he finished 13-14 of 14 for 129s excuse me, 129 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so, you know, my my flowers last week went to the Giants and Brian Dayball and obviously not Daniel Jones. But this week, the flowers are going to be evenly distributed across the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, absolutely. Great performance from the Falcons. I will, um, you know, leave a cliffhanger here. I am going to talk about the Falcons in just a second. I'm on the same page as you there, Pat. But for now, my flowers are going to... Uh, Mr. Stefan Diggs, wide receiver, Buffalo Bills, um, marquee matchup, Bills, Chiefs. Um, and we just saw an absolute stellar performance from Stefan Diggs. Um, he looked absolutely unguardable. He finished with a stat line of 10 catches for 148 yards and a touchdown. He is now second in receiving touchdowns, only trailing Travis Kelsey, who had four last week on Monday Night Football against the Raiders. He is second in yards per game, trailing only Tyreek Hill in receiving yards per game. 
um, so far this season. He's third in receptions, only trailing Cooper Cup, who is known um, as the primary weapon out, out in L.A., and Tyreek Hill as well there. He's also second in receptions of 10 or more yards, only trailing Tyreek Hill, who is very famous for yards after the catch as well. Bottom line is Diggs has put all doubts aside that he is one of the top receivers in the league. He's able to do it in multiple ways. He's done it in the volume way. He has two games of 10 plus receptions this year, adding on two more games of eight receptions. He has done it with the deep ball, multiple catches over 40 yards this season, including one over 50 yards. He's also done it in the red zone, been very reliable for Josh Allen. Four of Diggs's six touchdowns have come within the red zone. Those shorter yardage, Uh, Shorter field, condensed field routes, Diggs is still able to get open and provide a window for Allen to get him the ball. And you're really seeing this benefit, you know, the entire team. But, you know, having a reliable, consistent receiver like this to play, you know, Diggs does it great. He plays the role of safety blanket and the big play creator for Josh Allen and really allows a quarterback to, you know, be calm, allow him to settle in. and you know, you saw this with, you know, Patrick Mahomes had Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Now, obviously just Kelsey, but still Matt Stafford has Cooper cup. Aaron Rodgers had Devonte Adams. You, you see in countless examples over the years of that, that one receiver who can just, you know, really calm his, his quarterback, always give his quarterback a place to throw. You're seeing Allen and Diggs become one of the most dangerous duos in the league. And I fully expect them to continue to dominate other opposing defenses and secondaries this season and probably for many more years to come. Yep. And we saw Stefan Diggs catch one of Josh Allen's three passing touchdowns against the Chiefs. If you look back to our episode last week, we were both in heavy agreement on Josh Allen over two and a half touchdowns, which came through for, uh, you know, us and our loyal listeners. So uh, I'm in total agreement with you on uh, Stefan Diggs being the safety blanket for Josh Allen. Yeah, that, that was a that was a really fun game to watch too. Um, all right, but let's continue into our you know week six recap. We're gonna do uh, we're gonna give our biggest overreactions and then our biggest underreactions. So let's start with the overreactions. Uh, Pat, what are you overreacting to this week? I'm overreacting to the New York Jets. I'm not gonna go out on a limb and say that the New York Jets are a playoff contender, but they are not a dumpster fire anymore. They're actually pretty fun to watch. So this is Robert Sala's second season and the Jets are out to a four and two start. They're winners of two straight against the Dolphins and most recently the Packers on the road in Lambeau. Uh, in week six against the Packers, the Jets outrushed the uh, they outrushed Green Bay 179 to 60. On the road, they sacked Aaron Rodgers four times, and they jumped out to a 17-3 to lead, uh, you know, finishing with a two-score 27-10 to victory over the Packers on the road. Uh, I think they have, you know, a, a solid home run hitter in Brees Hall at running back. Um, if you look at the box score, the Jets went 1-11 of on third down and still won that game by two-plus scores. If you look back to their division win over the Dolphins at home in the previous week. They won 40-17, to and obviously it was against Miami's third-string quarterback after Teddy Bridgewater went out early, but it's hard to score points in the NFL, and um, it turned my head when they put up 40 points against the Dolphins, albeit you know, regardless of how bad the Dolphins' defense is, 40 points is 40 points in the NFL. That's a sign of a team that is executing early, often, and late. You know, to put 40 points up on the board. Sala is obviously a defensive-minded head coach, but 
Um, he, he's looking like a guy who's a, a leader of men and a motivator of the guys that he has on that roster this year. After, his, after the win over the Packers, Robert Sala called his defensive line a rolling ball of butcher knives. So <laughs> I, I heard that, and I'm tr- I, I've never seen in person what a rolling ball of butcher knives is, um, but it sounds pretty scary. Don't and, want that running uh, after me. <laughs> yeah, if I came across a rolling ball of butcher knives, I would go the opposite way. Um, you know, but anytime, (laughs) anytime you sack Aaron Rodgers four times, that's indicative of a defensive line. That's, you know, really causing, um, you know, issues for opposing quarterbacks. So obviously Zach Wilson hasn't been sharp in his limited action early in the season, but on the defensive side of the ball, the jets rank seventh in the league in yards per play allowed seventh of the league in explosive passing plays allowed fourth in the league in yards per carry third in QB hits and third in turnovers forced per game so you know I think this is a team that's surging and you know I maybe not a playoff contender as of yet but a team that's playing with a lot of momentum and uh you know a, a group of guys that really believes in each other um I, I guess maybe you would call them rolling ball rolling ball of butcher knives uh, look, <laughs> looking ahead maybe, they, yeah Looking ahead, they have a, a difficult upcoming slate. They got matchups with the Broncos defense this week. They play the Pats and Bills twice, and they play the Vikings over the next seven weeks. So it, it's a pretty tough um, you know, gauntlet that, that they're going to run through the next seven weeks, and we'll see if they can keep a winning record. But again, Robert Sala's got, the, got those guys believing in each other, and it, it's one thing to do what the Lions do, and it's play close games. It's another thing to win games. And at the end of the day, you know, heading into week seven, the Jets are 4-2. Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, for years, it's been absolutely miserable to watch the Jets. And like you said, they've been pretty pretty electric. And and you see the young core starting to come up. Zach Wilson doesn't look awful. Brees Hall looks pretty awesome. Garrett Wilson looks pretty awesome. Sauce Gardner looks pretty awesome. Um, so it's it, it's seeming like maybe they're hitting on some of their early picks now. And, and that would be a change for this Jets organization. So it's good to see. Uh, my biggest overreaction, and I promise some more Falcons talk, Uh, My biggest overreaction is that the Atlanta Falcons are legitimate playoff contenders. And let me tell you why Atlanta has actually been extremely solid on the offensive side of the ball. They rank ninth in offensive efficiency, fifth and third down conversion percentage, third in rush yards per game and 10th in yards per carry. So those rushing stats have actually been maintained without quarter Patterson on the field. Obviously Mariota looking healthy, looking quick has helped a ton. Uh, But, but, you know, without your starting running back to maintain uh, those, those stats in the rushing department is really impressive. They also are seventh in percent of their drives that reach the red zone and fifth in red zone touchdown percentage. So getting the ball into scoring position and then actually finishing your drives with six points um, is, a. I mean, you know, call me crazy. That's a good recipe to win football games. Um, You know, there are obvious problems on the defense. I'm not going to ignore that. They rank 25th in yards per play allowed, 31st in third down percentage allowed, 32nd in in percentage of opponents' drives that reach the red zone, and they rank 32nd in sacks per game. So they're really not getting to the quarterback. They're allowing their team, uh, their opponents, excuse me, to, you know, move the ball against them and convert on third down. However, they do rank 8th in rush yards per game allowed and 5th in turnovers forced per game. So... They are somewhat forcing teams to be a little bit more one-dimensional and in turn that is allowing them to turn the ball over, which has led to a few good wins for them. And, you know, why why not? Um, They have a weaker division than was probably expected coming into the year. The Panthers are absolutely terrible. 
Um, and they were kind of one of those teams that people were talking about as being maybe a little bit frisky coming into the year. The Bucks are not the juggernaut that we expected them to be. I'm not saying that, you know, the Falcons are going to roll into Tampa Bay and, and win that game, but it's definitely more winnable than, than most might've imagined at the beginning of the year. And the saints have lost Jameis Winston and their defense, which was expected to be a top five unit finished last year. Second in defensive efficiency is just 21st in defensive efficiency this year. So, you know, a weaker division than probably expected. This was a huge win over a Niners team this past week that has been red hot. And, you know, you look at the schedule, probably chalk that up to a loss if the Niners are healthy, but they get a win. Can't apologize for winning in the NFL. They still looking ahead on their schedule, have the Panthers twice, Chicago, Washington, and Pittsburgh. All those are, are winnable games. You know, you don't love to look ahead and count wins. However, they win all those games. They would be at eight wins. All they need to do is steal one more win. They still have Arizona late in the season, you know, historically not cliff Kingsbury's best time of the year, late in the year. Um, if they steal another win that could get them to nine and that might just be enough to make the playoffs in a week NFC. Yep. I agree with you. They, they've been uh, one of the darlings of the NFC so far this year. And uh, to your point, you know, it, it's a weak schedule. It's it, there's a lot of winnable games ahead for the Falcons. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Maybe we see Mariota in the playoffs. How about that? Uh, but moving to the, you know, other side of the spectrum here, the underreactions. Uh, Pat, where are you underreacting to results this past week? Yeah, I'm looking down to the Miami Dolphins. So obviously the Dolphins are on a, a two-game skid. They lost to the Jets two weeks ago, 40-17. to 17, And then they lost to the Vikings on the road, um, you know, in week six. But Teddy Bridgewater re-entered the starting role after Skylar Thompson left the game against the Vikings early in the second quarter, and in only three quarters of action, Teddy Bridgewater threw for 329 yards on 23 of 34 passing and two touchdowns. So um, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, as long as Tua is still rehabbing, is is very capable of executing the Dolphins' offense at high level. Um, he was obviously sacked five times and threw two picks in that game, but he's been aggressive in, you know, the time that he spent on the field under center and pushing the ball down the field and distributing the ball to Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle, who are, you know, the two biggest playmakers on the dolphins offense. If you look at the box score from week six, Tyree kill finished with 177 yards on 12 catches while Waddle went for 129 yards on six catches. And it, you know, it, at, at a high level, if you look at the way the dolphins want to execute their offense, it's to get the ball to Hill and Waddle in space and down the field. And Bridgewater has demonstrated himself as being very more than capable of doing that. He targeted uh, Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle 25 times on 45 passing attempts. And those two guys accounted for 75% of the dolphins output in the passing game last week against the Vikings. So obviously the dolphins have a lot of flaws on their roster namely in defending the pass and generating a pass rush. But when it comes to Teddy Bridgewater's ability to execute the offensive game plan, I, I see him as uh, a guy who is definitely capable of doing that and, you know, putting the ball in the playmaker's hands of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So looking ahead to this week, it's looking like Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starter and he's got a great matchup with a Pittsburgh defense that ranks 30th in the league in passing yards allowed and explosive plays allowed as well. So as long as Teddy's back there, I think he's going to be, you know, given given those two guys uh, a chance to make big plays and, you know, allow the Dolphins to move the ball really well on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. 
Teddy covers as they call him in some circles. Um, he's a guy who you don't necessarily bring in expecting to win a Super Bowl, but he can definitely um, win you some games. And it doesn't take a superstar quarterback to be really good when you got weapons like Hill and Waddle on the outside and and running around all over the place. So uh, com- completely agree there. And um, yeah, don't don't really have much more to add. Um, but I will go to my underreaction here. And my underreaction is regarding the Giants and Ravens game this past weekend. I am not going to give a ton of weight to this result. Obviously, the Giants beat the Ravens. Um, but, you know, looking and watching this game, looking at the box score, watching this game, the Ravens led for the majority of this game. Um, it felt like they were in the driver's seat for, I mean, probably three and a half quarters at least. And then it kind of all went south really quick. There, there was a really bad Lamar Jackson interception with three minutes left. Um, it, it was a bad snap. It was kind of a, bro, a broken play. Lamar rolls out to his right. He should have just thrown it away. Instead, he tries to make this hero throw into double coverage. It gets picked off, and the Giants have the ball in the red zone driving to win the game. So it's like that. that's just a terrible, a terrible interception, and that's something that Lamar should be better at at this point. But nevertheless, then the Giants go, and the Ravens, looking like they got to stop. They got the Giants stopped uh, on third and three. They throw it to the end zone. Ravens commit PI in the end zone. Giants get the ball to one. Saquon Barkley, easy walking touchdown. And the Giants have the lead. And and, and just like that, uh, all of a sudden, for the first time in the game, the Giants led. And then on the next play, Lamar Jackson still has time to go down the field and win the game. And turnover, Lamar fumbles it, trying to scramble on the second play of that potential drive. Um, and that was the game. And, you know, obviously you you don't want to downplay turnovers at the end of a game because it's the NFL and that happens. But this one felt like a little, little fluky to me, at least Um, looking at the box score. Now the giants were outgained by the Ravens four Oh six to two thirty eight in total yards, one ninety five to one fifty five in passing yards and two eleven to 83 rushing. Now, obviously we know that the Ravens are a great rushing offense, but the giants have been one of the best, if not the best rushing offense coming into the league. This was their bread and butter. They were only able to muster up 83 yards, given a pretty good Ravens rush defense. The Ravens gained more first downs, were sacked fewer times than the Giants. It just felt like one of those games that the Ravens probably win nine out of 10 times, barring you know a few disastrous plays at the end of the game that I just laid out. The Ravens should probably have won this game. And so I'm not really giving a ton of weight and, and, you know, all praise the giants and whatnot, you know, great win, but I, you know, I don't think it's all it's going to be chalked up to be. Yep. And, and looking ahead, the giants are traveling down to Jacksonville as three point underdogs is that's where the line opened. So Vegas is telling you that they think the Jags at two and four are a better team than the giants. And that line hasn't moved. The Jags are still three point favorites this upcoming week. So I totally agree with you. You know, if you look at the box score and, you know, judge who won the game based on everything that you mentioned, it should be the Ravens nine or even nine and a half times out of 10. And, um, it, it's just the age old, you know, never throw the ball across your body late in the game. And that's exactly what Lamar did. And it, it was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for Baltimore last week against the giants. Yeah. And, and, you know, all the credit in the world of the giants, they've won close games all year, starting out five and one day balls brought new energy. We've talked about this, but again, I, I'm not really overreacting to, uh, 
to that win and and you know crowning the Giants uh, just yet. All right, let's move to looking ahead at Week Seven now. Uh, we're gonna go through, give a couple picks here. We're gonna go with our favorite favorite and our favorite underdog. Uh, let's start with the favorites. Uh, Pat, who you got this week? Yeah, my favorite favorite of the week is the Chiefs minus three on the road at the 49ers. So there, there's reason to hesitate in backing the Chiefs this week on the road in, in this spot against San Fran coming off the slugfest that they just had with the Bills on Sunday. But they're, they're going up against the Chiefs in, you know, a perfect, sp- or excuse me, against the 49ers in a perfect spot. The 49ers are dealing with cluster injuries in the secondary, and the Chiefs are not the team that you want to be running into when you're dealing with cluster injuries in the secondary. So no. sharp, sharp, not, not one bit. Um, if, <laughs> if there's a, a rolling ball of butcher knives in the offensive sense of the, the word is it's the <laughs> Kansas City Chiefs offense. So Charvarius Ward left the game early uh, against the Falcons and did not practice on Wednesday. Obviously, the Niners lost Emmanuel Mosley to a season-ending injury the previous week. Jimmy Ward's back at practice this week after breaking his hand, but he's wearing a cast, and um, you know obviously that, that's a bigger impact for a, a wide receiver than it is for a safety, but a broken hand is a broken hand nonetheless. It looks like Nick Bosa is going to be back this week, but the, the Niners are hobbled in the secondary, and you know the, they're also heading home after a 10-plus day trip to the East Coast where they played the, the Panthers and... Uh, the Falcons. So um, it, it, it's, you know, sort of a letdown spot for the 49ers in that they just spent 10 days out on the East Coast. And now all those players are getting home, seeing their families, you know, kind of hanging out, happy to be home. And now, you know, turn around pretty quick and you got to play the Chiefs on Sunday. So um, that's that's what's going against the 49ers. And, you know, let's flip it around back to the Chiefs. Obviously, they lost the game last week, but against the Bills, number one, Ranked pass defense, Mahomes threw for 338 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, he found Juju Smith-Schuster for 133 yards on five catches and a touchdown. So that's obviously a new target that Mahomes has this year. And we haven't seen a lot of Juju before, you know, week six against the Bills. But it was good to see him establish a little bit of uh, a rapport with Juju. Um, I think that's something to watch, you know, moving forward. I think Juju is has been criticized heavily for uh, his TikToks, but he's he's a really talented athlete, and I think it's a great spot for <laughs> Juju to be in that Kansas City offense. Um, they don't have the best defense, you know, Kansas City, but so far this year they rank fourth in the league in rushing yards allowed in in rushing yards allowed and seventh in the league in yards per carry. So you know, with all that being said, it, it's a chalky road favorite, but you got you know one of the top passing offenses in the league going against a uh, San Fran secondary that's got cluster injuries. And, you know, in a letdown spot, getting home after a long road trip. And, you know, I, I like the Chiefs to win this one. Um, Chiefs minus three. Uh, yeah, Mahomes, a guy who's used to being around TikTokers. So, uh, you know, maybe that helped uh, develop that that rapport that you talked about with Juju there. Uh, it was good to see him. They, they brought him in to be, you know, not replace Tyreek Hill. That's unfair to anybody in the world to try to replace Tyreek Hill at what he does. But definitely brought him in to be a, a marquee receiver um, in a marquee offense in the, in the NFL. And, and it was good to see him uh, look really good. And, and like you said, this is uh, coming off a loss, a tough loss. Um, this is a tough part of the Chiefs' schedule, having to play the Bills and then go to the Niners on the road. So, uh, you know, I think if, if going into this two-game stretch, they probably said coming out one-on-one would be, would be a win. And, and here they are. It's hard to see the Chiefs losing two games in a row. So I like this play a lot. Uh, my favorite favorite of the week, 
Um, and we just talked a little bit about them. This is going to be the Baltimore Ravens, six and a half point favorites at home versus the Cleveland Browns. And I know that six and a half seems like a lot of points, um, you know, a divisional matchup, two teams that historically don't like each other, but I really do think this is a favorable, favorable matchup for the Ravens in a clear bounce back spot after a weird loss that I just went through. Uh, Baltimore's offense will start there. Absolutely top tier this season so far. Sixth in offensive efficiency, second in yards per play, sixth in rush yards per game, first in yards per carry, second in explosive rush plays. Obviously, you know, that's a lot due to Lamar Jackson. Also, that helps with Lamar Jackson, ninth in sacks, um, second in QB hits allowed. Obviously, Lamar helps avoid a lot of that, which, you know, may bolster the stats for the offensive line, but there is something to that, not taking sacks. Um, Cleveland's defense on the other side of the ball has been absolutely terrible to start the year. I made a case a couple weeks ago that maybe it was just a fluke game against the Chargers. It's starting to trend more in the direction of this defense actually is just bad. Uh, 29th in defensive efficiency, 29th in yards per play allowed, 26th in yards per attempt passing allowed, 29th in yards per carry allowed, which could really be a problem against uh, this Ravens team, 24th in sacks per game and 31st in quarterback hits per game. Um, they are coming off two straight weeks, allowing 30 plus points. They allowed 30 to the chargers and 38 to Bailey Zappi and the new England Patriots. Um, uh, not getting to the quarterback, not getting pressure, allowing a lot of yards per carry is a real like recipe for disaster against this, this Ravens team. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Cleveland's biggest strength to this point has been their run game. They've relied on it. They've leaned on it. They are first in rush yards per game with 172 on the year and eighth in yards per carry, as well as first in explosive rush plays. They've rode their, their, uh, you know, dual headed monster Chubb and hunt and really taking the pressure off Brissett. However, their biggest weakness has been in the passing game, 23rd in pass yards per game and 24th in yards per attempt. And that's really been the recipe to beat Baltimore's defense this year is to air raid them to death and, and, and really, you know, sling that ball around Baltimore 27th in pass yards per game allowed and 27th in explosive pass plays allowed versus just ninth. Um, they've been very good top 10 defense in rush yards per game allowed and eighth in explosive runs allowed. Um, I, I just think that this is a tough you know, it's a, it's tough enough to go on the road if you're the Browns, let alone the when your strengths of your team don't really align with the weaknesses of, of a Baltimore team um, that's coming off a loss. And I I just expect Baltimore to be able to score at will against this uh, Browns Browns defense and beat them pretty handily. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with you know everything you you touched on with regard to the matchup analysis. I think I've been beating the drum a lot with regard to the the Ravens' biggest weakness on defense, which is their inability to generate a pass rush and and consequently defend the pass but they're they're getting a lot of reinforcements back on the defensive line and I expect their their you know pass rush to start trending up in the right direction you know against a a quarterback on the opposite side of the ball in Cleveland and Jacoby Brissett that's not a good sign when you know you have a bunch of pass rushers coming back Jacoby Brissett is you know one of the slowest guys in the league at the quarterback position and (laughs) you know uh, again, like it, it's just going to be difficult for him to move the ball if they can't get the the running game going. So I agree. I think it's a great bounce back spot for the Ravens against the the Browns. You know, pretty bad defense this week in Week Seven. Yeah, we get to watch Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray on a week to week basis, so we're we're uh, privileged watching fast quarterbacks. Uh, Brissett, not one of those. 
Um, anyways, moving on to our favorite underdogs. Pat, who's your favorite underdog of the week? We're going back to the Falcons. We're taking, I like Falcons plus more six. Falcons talk. More Falcons baby. talk. This is the, 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 this is a Falcons podcast this week. Um, obviously we touched on it <laughs> earlier with the Falcons being six and zero against the spread this year, but I like them getting six points against the relative, you know, relative to all other dogs on this week, seven slate. So Ethan, you touched on it a little bit, but let's go back to the Falcons offense. Um, or excuse me, the rest, you know, just their, their metrics across the board. They're ninth in the league in offensive efficiency, which I don't think anyone would have expected, you know, heading into the year with the, you know, the guys that they're missing um, and the guys that they have on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, they're fourth, 14th in the league in defensive efficiency by our metrics. They're eighth in the league in red zone trips, which red zone trips translate to touchdowns more often than not. And they're third in the league in Fast. rushing yards per game. So, um, again, I think, you know, the Falcons have – weaknesses for sure one of them being defending the pass but they have a lot to like uh you know getting six points on the road here against the Bengals so let's look back at the box score and what the Bengals did last week against the Saints obviously the final score shows that they won 30 to 26 on the road in the Superdome but they trailed 23 to 14 early in the second half to a team led by Andy Dalton uh yeah Andy Dalton that was missing Michael Thomas Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave um, the Saints ran for 228 yards on the Bengals' defense and allowed only one sack of Andy Dalton. The biggest difference in this game was that the Saints finished one of five in the red zone. They couldn't turn their red zone trips into points to open this game up and you know extend their lead even more in the second half. So um, you know the, the the result shows that the Bengals won the game and a win is a win in the NFL. But um, the box score you know sort of shows that they they came from behind and. Um, you know, allow their opponent to do a lot of things well. Um, obviously, there's a case to be made on the opposite side of the ball that Burrow is going to be able to open things up this week against the Falcons defense that ranks 31st in the league in passing yards per game allowed. But the Falcons have an opportunity to control this game with a running game again that ranks third in the league in rushing and, you know, keep this game close. The The Bengals on the opposite side of the ball have had a pretty weak pass rush uh, thus far in the year. They rank 29th in the league in sacks and Marcus Mariota obviously is not Jacoby Brissett. He's got legs on him and you know, he, he uses no. his legs to create opportunities to extend plays and, and move, you know, the ball on the, uh, on, on that side of the ball. So the, the Falcons rank fifth in the league and third down conversion rate. And again, if you can't get pressure on Marcus Mariota and the, the Falcons do a good job of moving the sticks on third down, I think that gives the Falcons an opportunity to keep this game close and, um, you know, cover the spread. Obviously, nobody thinks that the Falcons are going to go undefeated against the spread, but let's not step in front of that that Falcons train this week, and let's take Falcons plus six. Hey, you can't go undefeated against the spread if you don't go 7-0 and against the spread first. So I'll start there one step at a time, and I do have some more Joe Burrow insight coming soon. Uh, but first, I will jump to my favorite underdog of the week. And that is the Houston Texans plus seven at Las Vegas. So breaking this down, let's start with the Raiders defense. Raiders defense, 28th in defensive efficiency, 25th in passing yards per game allowed, 27th in yards per attempt, 32nd dead last in red zone touchdown conversion percentage, 28th in sacks per game, and again, dead last 32nd in turnovers forced per game. They have failed to hold 
any opponent under 23 points this season, and they've only scored on the other side 30 once. I'll give them twice because the failed two point conversion against the chiefs kept them at 29. And like, maybe you call that 30 and in another circumstance, but point being, if you allow 23, you got to score at least 30 to cover a seven point spread. That's just math. Um, You know, the Texans have been sneaky 17th in defensive efficiency, 19th in offensive efficiency. That's middle of the pack for a team that a lot of people were throwing futures on to be the worst team in the league this year. They are fourth in red zone touchdown percentage allowed on defense and 11th in red zone touchdown percentage on offense, stopping your opponent from scoring touchdowns and scoring touchdowns is a good recipe to win football games. Again, not to sound, you know, simplistic, but sometimes it is that easy. Um, 15th in turnovers forced per game on the defensive side for, for Houston, only seventh in, or excuse me, they are seventh in turnovers on offense. So that's very good. Top 10 and not turning the ball over. Um, You know, these are two things that seem fairly simple, but converting, you know, touchdowns in the red zone and winning the turnover battle can be a recipe to stay in games, no matter how bad you are um, in between, you know, you know, 20 to 20. Um, The Texans have played close games all season. They tied with the Colts in their season opener. They had a grinder against the Broncos where the first touchdown didn't happen until the fourth quarter. They lost on a late field goal to the Bears, which they turned it over late to lose that game. They kept it within one score the entire game until there were two and a half minutes left against a good Chargers team to this point. And they grinded out a tough win in Jacksonville. Um, both teams here coming off a bye, so erase that advantage. Both teams should be more than prepared for this matchup. Um, you know, both sides kind of desperately needing a win, and I just think seven points is way too many in this spot. Yep, I I think you you hit the nail on the head on uh, you know a lot of your points. I think that you know the the public perception of what the Texans were going to be is divergent from what the Texans have been this year. And again, it, it's it's seven points. That, that's a lot of points in the NFL. And um, to your point, Texans off a bye is is a great spot for them. Obviously, the Raiders are also off a bye. But um, yeah, take the touchdown and and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, let's go Mills Mafia. I mean. Why not us, you know? Um, All right, let's move on to our favorite player prop of the week. All right, I'll take this one, Ethan. Let's stay on the Texans-Raiders matchup. So I like Josh Jacobs to go over his rushing yard total. We're waiting for a total to be released, but if that number is in the high 60s, low 70s, even up to 75, I like Josh Jacobs to clear that number. So... Um, I think with Josh or with John Gruden at the helm, you know, last season and the season prior, Josh Jacobs was sort of being phased out of this offense, but he's having a resurgence this season in the Ravens backfield, and he's got a great matchup against the Texans defense this upcoming week that ranks 28th in the league in yards per carry allowed, 30th in the league in total rushing yards allowed, and 28th in the league in explosive rushing plays allowed. Let's look at the last two weeks before the bye. Josh Jacobs went for 154 yards on the ground against KC, uh, a rushing defense that thus far in the season ranks fourth in the league in rushing yards allowed, and 144 yards on the ground against Denver's 12th-ranked rushing defense. So um, Josh Jacobs is getting a ton of carries. He's you know ranking third in the league in rushing yards per game, seventh in the league in explosive rushing plays, and he leads the league in uh, running back usage in terms of percentage of carries 
given to him relative to the rest of the players in that backfield. He's getting over 79% of the Raiders' touches when they go to the ground game, um, and he's going up against the Texans' defense that over the last or through the the course of this season has allowed Jonathan Taylor to go for 161 yards, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. That running back committee went for 122 yards in total, and Khalil Herbert for the Bears went for 157 yards. So, um, you know, in terms of a specific matchup in this game, I like Josh Jacobs as the bell cow for the Raiders to really beat up on a Texans defense that is susceptible to chunk yardage on the ground, and I like Josh Jacobs on the over this week. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good matchup for Jacobs. He's looked like a better running back than I think most people, you know, expected him to be. He's a guy who sat on the, uh, as the, you know, top guy available in the fantasy draft for a few rounds before someone bit and it's paid off for, for them. So, um, yeah, Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, you gave a, a player prop against my favorite underdog. So I'm going to rebuttal with a, with a player prop against your favorite underdog here. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow over his passing yards prop. We've seen this number typically around 265, 275 this season. If it's anywhere around there, I'd even go up to 285 probably on this one. Um, I'm going over on Joey B. Um, Burrow passed for at least 275 in four out of six games this year. Uh, one of those two that he did not was against Baltimore when he did not have T Higgins available to him, who is obviously a huge piece of that offense and a, and a huge weapon for, for Joe Burrow to, to have at his disposal. Um, starting with the Bengals offense and especially their passing game, they are seventh in pass yards per game and ninth in explosive pass plays. This is, you know, coming off a little bit of a slow start to the season, but um, it, it seems like Burrow and Chase are back in their groove and, and Higgins is as good as he's looked um, since he's been in the league. Uh, the Falcons defense, as you touched on a little bit, is absolutely horrible against the pass. Um, 31st in pass yards per game allowed, 24th in yards per attempt, 31st in explosive pass plays allowed, and 32nd in sacks per game, which has been the biggest criticism of the Bengals offense, has been their o offensive line. Um, which has been greatly improved over the past few weeks. They have not allowed more than three sacks since week two. Um, and a Falcons defensive line that has been pretty non-existent in terms of quarterback pressure to start the year. Um, seems like Joey B is going to have time to, uh, to utilize those weapons and, and shred this secondary. Um, the Falcons have given up 296 pass yards to Jimmy G who averages 230, 351 to Brady, who averages 275, 234 to Brissett. Doesn't sound like much, but Jacoby Brissett, you know, no legs Brissett, if we, as, as we've been calling him here so far, averages to only 221, and 325 to Geno Smith, who only averages 250. So that's a lot of guys who are going way over their passing prop, or excuse me, not their prop technically, but but their season average. Um, our model um, actually likes the over in this game. Um, understandably. So this has the looks of being a high flying back and forth type of matchup. And I really see a great opportunity for burrow to exceed his season total 
um, average of 269 against, you know, a Falcons defense that's looked like Swiss cheese against the pass. Yep. I, I think you, again, hit the nail on the head here. If you're, I, I really like, you know, looking at, you know, guys who, you know, are outperforming their season averages with Jimmy G, Brady, Brissett, and Geno Smith. And each of those guys have pretty significantly outperformed their season average. And you got Joey Burrow um, going up against his defense. I, I agree. I think, I think it's a great spot for him to outperform his, um, you know, his season average output. And he's got cousin T back in, in the mix. I, I like it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been fun watching the Bengals kind of find their swagger again here in the season. They, they were a really fun team at the end of last year, so so excited to see that. Um, all right, let's go to our, uh, our, our final segment for the day here. Um, we're going to do some power rankings. And, and when, you know, I first proposed this to you, I was hoping we'd have it, you know, our two power rankings a little bit different. Um as we'll go through and talk about it, but we really had pretty similar power rankings. Um, today we are going to go through the AFC, um, the top seven. So that would be the seven teams who would theoretically make the playoffs. And this is not necessarily who we think is going to make the playoffs, but who we think are the top seven teams in the AFC to this point. So I will go through it and I'll go through mine and, because ours were pretty similar uh, mention, you know, where we had differences there um, and, and, you know, chime in with whatever you got here. So number one, uh, we both were in, were, uh, you know, in agreement on this. We have the Buffalo bills to probably nobody in the world's surprise um, coming off a huge win against the chiefs. They've looked like the best team all year. They are second in offensive efficiency first in defensive efficiency. They are second in offensive efficiency. I will mention to the chiefs, um, their only loss this season is coming a weird game against the Dolphins. Um, they actually outgained Miami 497 to 212 and controlled time of possession 40 minutes to 20 minutes in that game. So even their loss, they were absolutely dominating their opposition. Um, they look like just the most complete team. Like I said, um, they're one of just three teams in the league with a top five offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency ranking along with Philly and Cincinnati. So bills at number one, I'm sure that's pretty chalk there, Pat. Yep, absolutely. They're they're the most complete team in the AFC and obviously probably the most complete team in the the league. So if, if the Bills can hold serve for the rest of the season, they're probably going to have home field advantage and you know play the Chiefs at some point in the AFC playoffs at home in Buffalo. It would be a treat to see that um, again as we go to number two in both of our lists, the Kansas City Chiefs. As I mentioned, they are the league leader in offensive efficiency. However, they are 30th in defensive efficiency. Not good. But despite that, they are actually only fourth in rushing yards per game allowed and seventh in yards per carry. So they are fairly good defending the run, which is, you know, uh, uh, can be a positive. I would take their passing game against anybody else's passing game in the league in a shootout. Uh, you have Patrick Mahomes. You're always going to have a chance. You're always going to be in, you know, playoff contention and Super Bowl contention and, and whatnot. Um, they played, you know, what we just saw was an insanely back and forth game against the, against the bills. They had the ball at the end, you know, in Mahomes' hands chance to win the game. If you're the chiefs, you're going to take your chances with that every time. Obviously this time it didn't quite work out. Um, it can't work out every time, but chiefs number two. 
Yep, no disagreement there. I think we had the two best teams in the AFC on the field last week, and the game played out just like, you know, everybody expected. It was a close game, one-score game, and, you know, one team's got to win, one team's got to lose. And, you know, Buffalo took the lead in the AFC, and, again, if they if they can hold serve, they're, they're probably going to be hosting the Chiefs either in the divisional round or in the AFC championship in Buffalo. Yeah, and, and boy, would it be a treat to get that AFC championship game again because that was probably the best game of football I've ever watched in my life. Um, so that would be a lot of fun. Okay, getting into the you know interesting part where we actually differed. 3-4. Um, we have the same two teams, but in different order. I had Ravens-Bengals. You had Bengals-Ravens. So I will go start with the Ravens, and then I'll let you take on the Bengals here. Um, the Ravens for me, pretty toss up. I I think with the Bengals, I just gave the Ravens a slight edge because, um, they, they won the game against the Bengals. Now we will get a rematch later this season in Cincinnati. So that will be extremely fun to watch. We'll see if we still have them three, four at that time of the season, but talking about the Ravens here, sixth in offensive efficiency, ninth in defensive efficiency, uh, top 10, both, both sides of the ball is always a great great thing. Um, second in yards per play, sixth in rush yards per game, first in yards per carry on offense. Lamar Jackson, just looking as good as he has, um, looks back like he's in his MVP form from, from a, a few seasons ago. Um, this team could be four and two if there were a few better decisions made by Lamar at the end of the game against the Giants that I talked about earlier on the show. Um, top 10 defense against the run, allowing only ninth most rushing yards per game against them out of any team in the league so far this year. We have talked about their woes in the passing game, um, or I should say defending the passing game, but it has been looking a little bit better over the past few weeks. And their defense forces turnovers at the second highest rate in the league. So again, while their pass defense is a big concern, um, you know, they've collapsed at the end of a couple games this year, but I still have the Ravens at third in my AFC power rankings. Yep, I'll I'll take you the, Beng- the Bengals. I'll I'll yeah. take the Bengals. So I had the Bengals at three, and obviously you you touched on it. The Ravens beat the Bengals outright a few weeks ago, but I think that there's a lot to like about where the Bengals are relative to where they were to start the year. So the Bengals rank fifth in the league in offensive efficiency, and more importantly, they rank second in the league in defensive efficiency. A year ago, their defense looked like it was going to be their their defense and their offensive line were going to be their biggest, you know, hurdles to, you know, one making the playoffs and two making a deep run in the playoffs and um the way the season's playing out so far, the, the defense is, you know, exactly where it needs to be for the Bengals. Um you know, looking over to the offensive line, this team got off to a rough start in Cincy um, in protecting Joe Burrow off, you know, a little bit of a super hang, Super Bowl hangover uh, behind a revamped offensive line. But, um, you know, the offensive line is probably one of those positions, one of the most important position units in the league. And anytime you swap out two to three guys on that um, front five front, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for that offense to gel but I think that we've seen Burrow getting better protection over the last couple weeks and um, you know they kind of snapped back into form last week against the Saints on the road to get the win and you know post 30 points on the Saints defense Um, the Bengals are third uh, third in the league and third down conversion rate you know eighth eighth in the league in red zone touchdown percentage and again we've we've touched on their defense Um, I just think that the Bengals are you're they're trending in the right direction when it comes to every 
you know, facet of their roster. Their offensive line's coming together, and I think the the biggest issue for their offense early in the year was their inability to establish the run, and I think that we've seen Joe Mixon really, you know, becoming more effective, um, you know, in the ground game over the last few weeks for the Bengals, and I, I, I'm just impartial to uh, to Joe Burrow, and, you know, if you flip it back to the Ravens, obviously they, they rank really well across, you know, both sides of the ball, but, again, their, their pass defense is going to be an issue, and um, I think the most important, you know, red flag for the Ravens is their inability to finish games. Um, you know, Lamar threw the ball across his body against the Giants last week and basically blew the game for him, um, and, you know, they, they lost to the Dolphins in, in – uh, fourth quarter thriller as well. So it's it's one thing to jump out to early leads and you know really dominate the first three quarters, but you got to finish the game in the fourth quarter to get that W on the board. And I just see the Bengals as uh, a, a more well-rounded roster that's trending in the right direction relative to Baltimore um, in that in those third and fourth slots in the AFC. Yeah, I, I mean I've been a Bengals stand already. Um, talked about it. Talked about them last week. Um, love this Bengals team. I had a pretty toss up, but I gave the edge just because of that head to head win, but could easily see the Bengals finishing better than the Ravens and winning that division this year. Um, all right, let's, uh, go through the last three here, um, which we had, um, all the same, um, at number five, we got the Tennessee Titans, um, you know, back in the top five of the power rankings, even though everyone thought they were going to be terrible. Um, eighth and offensive efficiency. 10th and defensive efficiency again great on both sides of the ball um you know they're not they're really not spectacular on offense they're they're 25th in yards per play 25th and third down conversion percentage however they are first in the league at converting red zone um possessions into touchdowns at 92 percent every nine out of ten times they get in the red zone they're punching that thing in for six they also turn the ball over at the second lowest rate in the league their defense is first in stopping opposing offenses on converting third downs and 10th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed and 10th in sacks per game as well, which are good, you know, indicators of, of where you can really, you know, get a small edge. You know, the NFL is, is a game of, of inches is a, a game of slim advantages. And, and those are key places that the Titans have been able to, to utilize and win games. Obviously they had a slow start to the year. Um, they lost to the giants by one, they outrushed the Giants 238 to 93. So they somewhat dominated that game. Another Giants kind of late surge beat the Titans, and then they got dominated by the Bills, who we've talked about, not really chalking much up to that. Since then, they've bounced back really nice. They rattled off three straight into the bye, take the division lead. They're back this week, and I really like what I've seen from the Titans so far this year. Yep, I agree. I, I love Mike Vrabel. I think he brings a, a big element of toughness to the Titans. I think that, you know, a, a couple things that should be mentioned um, as headwinds to the Titans are, number one, they rank 32nd in the league in net yards per play, which, again, I've touched on it a bunch uh, over the early course of the season. I think that's the most all-encompassing way to measure a team's effectiveness on both sides of the ball, and the fact that the Titans uh, you know, rank last in the league in that metric is, is a big red flag when it comes to, you know, evaluating this team. And then at the quarterback position, the most important position in football, Ryan Tannehill has showed you time and again, you know, who he is. And he's not a premier passer in the pocket. And, you know, we've seen it over the last couple of seasons. It, you, you need you need uh, an, a really effective offense to move the ball through the air and, you know, win tight games and come from behind in the playoffs. And, 
Ryan Tannehill doesn't seem like he's that guy and he doesn't seem like he's going to become that guy. So, um, I obviously, you know, in, in an AFC, that's a little bottom heavy, uh, you know, at the bottom with a lot of pretty bad rosters, Tennessee ranks fifth, but I I think there's major headwinds for the Titans. Um, you know, particularly when you're going to have to go and put a bunch of points on the board, uh, against either the Bengals chiefs or bills in, in the postseason. Yeah, it's a tough road ahead for the Titans, but they have, uh, you know, routed off a few good wins here. Um, and we slotted them in at number five. Moving on to number six, we got the Los Angeles Chargers coming in at 13th in offensive efficiency and 16th in defensive efficiency. Um, their two losses came to, you know, one was against the Chiefs, and the next was the following week. Uh, Herbert was hurt late in that Chiefs game, and he really was not 100% in that that the week after, and they, they lost um, to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, they do rank fifth in pass yards per game, fourth in percentage of their drives that are reaching the red zone, and they allow the fewest sacks in the league, which is huge when you got a, uh, you know, a marquee uh, passer back there in Justin Herbert. Um, they do have a much improved defense from last year. Um, last year, they finished 32nd in defensive efficiency, obviously now 16th, right in the middle of the, in the middle of the pack. Um, and with, with a more dangerous defense and Justin Herbert behind center or under center, uh, you know, this is not a team you want to see come playoff time. Yep. I agree with that. I think, I think the chargers are definitely up there and you know, that this sort of second to third tier of the AFC, I think, again, if we want to similar to what we did with the Titans touch on headwinds that the chargers have, um, their, their offense really lacks a lot of creativity and a lot of explosiveness without Keenan Allen. Looking forward to seeing Keenan Allen back on the field uh, this upcoming week. But, you know, Keenan Allen's in his early to mid-30s, and he's got a bad hamstring. That's not going to go away um, as time goes on and the season, you know, progresses. And so I think the Chargers' ability to go deep in the playoffs is really going to hinge on Keenan Allen's health again I he's he's one of the most reliable targets in the league but I think we've seen it the last couple weeks without Keenan Allen in there I think the the Chargers offense really lacks a lot of creativity and explosiveness and so I I think the that that their season is really going to hinge on uh, Keenan Allen's ability to stay healthy the rest of the way yeah Allen's a huge piece of that offense and and uh we'll really see how they're able to improve with him in the lineup um rounding out our top seven in the afc we have none only then the new england patriots and uh the bailey zappy led new england patriots for the past couple weeks um while they do rank just 26th in offensive efficiency they do rank 12th in defensive efficiency um a solid rushing attack that they have uh, 10th in rushing yards per game, 10th in explosive rushes has really taken the pressure off of their quarterback, whoever it's been Jones or Zappi. Um, they've really improved the past two weeks on offense. Maybe that's because of Mr. Zappi. Um, they have moved from 12th to sixth in yards per play on offense and 13th to eighth in third down conversion percentage. So definitely trending in the right direction for this offensive unit. Their defense is solid across the board. Um, eighth in yards per attempt allowed seventh in sacks per game. They really don't do anything poorly. And that is, you know, kind of the MO of a bill Belichick team. And this has the makings of a classic one. Um, they run the ball. They're fundamentally sound. They're tough on defense. And you, you know, you know you're in for a grind them out physical game when you see the Patriots. 
Yep. I, if, if we were to reslot these, I, I think I might put the Patriots ahead of, ahead of the Chargers. Um, just specifically looking at the, the coaching advantages that you have with Belichick over Brandon Staley. But, you know, the Patriots are exactly what they are. They know exactly what they are, and they, they play to their weaknesses and, you know, really try to make their opponents play left-handed. I think that's, that's the way everyone describes Bill Belichick's, um, you know, way of game planning against his opponents. And uh, I think he just continues to do a really good job of that. You know, with Bailey Zappi in there, the offense really has not taken a step back. And the Patriots are a team that I don't think any of these teams above them in the AFC power ratings would want to run into late in the season or in the postseason. And, um, you know, stepping in front of Bill Belichick against the spread is a, a losing bet over the last 20 years. So, it's not surprising to see the Patriots in this slot in the AFC, and um, you know we'll, we'll be interested to see where they are going forward with uh, uh, a little bit of turmoil, you know, on their offensive coaching staff and defensive coaching staff below Bel- below Bill Belichick. Yeah, for me, I think the Chargers get this slight edge over the Patriots just from quarterback play. Obviously, Justin Herbert far superior to anyone the Patriots can roll out there, and in a loaded AFC quarterback wise with Allen Mahomes. Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow at the top quarterback play is going to matter come playoff time. And I think that's where I give the edge to the chargers. Um, Those are our AFC power rankings for the top seven. Uh, This has been the week seven preview with the sporting intelligence crew Um, real quick before we go, a reminder to um, go to our website, sporting dash intelligence.com. And if you sign up before the kickoff of week eight, you can get a one month free trial to access our dashboards, our uh, matchup analysis, player stats, dashboards, and our model dashboards, which gives out picks like the Bengals Falcons over 47, the Jets Broncos under 39 and the Pats bears under 40 and a half. It's been a great start to the season for the models. Let's keep it rolling. Let's have another great week of football, Pat. Yep. Let's do it. Excited about week seven and uh, let's keep watching football. Thank you.